Hello, everyone, and welcome to Rollin' Bones. I'm your host, Ryan Howard, and I have a very exciting announcement for you. Starting with this episode, Rollin' Bones with Ryan Howard will now be weekly. That's right, a podcast every week. You will always get to hear my velvety tones coming through this Blue Yeti microphone sitting in this dark corner of my living room. Pleasant picture, I know. With that said, this is a, uh, a very last-minute decision, and probably one that I'll get into at a later date. And because it's a last-minute decision, literally made just a couple minutes ago, I don't have a guest for today. And what I'm going to do moving forward is for weeks that I can't book a guest, I am going to just sit down in front of my microphone and I'm going to rant at you about certain D&D related topics. And so these episodes will be called a DM rants about dot 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 whatever topic I'm going to be talking about. So like I said, there's no guest, it's just me. And uh, today I'm going to be talking to you about group dynamics in D&D. This is a subject that I feel like is, is Talked about a lot, but not talked about enough. Because of the nature of the game, D&D is inherently social. You cannot get around this. There is no anti-social Dungeons & Dragons or anti-social any role-playing game, unless it's a single-player role-playing video game. What that means is you are going to end up dealing with groups of people. This can be good, and this can be bad, and I'm going to talk about a little bit of both here for the next hour, maybe hour and a half, depending on how I'm feeling. So I want to start with the good. There's a lot of good that comes from role-playing. And, and to do this, I want to tell you a little bit of my story and how I came into role-playing. So, kind of skipping over that first game I played with John, where his dog bit me, I'm going to move on to the, the second group, the first real cohesive group that I was a part of. And that would be Moe's game, where all my friends that you're going to hear on this podcast came from. At this point in my life, when I wanted to start this game, I was extremely lonely. I was in my second year of college, I just started my sophomore year, and I had a couple friends, but I never got to hang out with them. I was always either working or doing schoolwork, and I had a job that I hated, and like I said, I was just generally miserable all the time. But the couple times that I played D&D, I knew that, you know, it was an escape from reality, and it was also a way to just hang out and, and fellowship with people. So I wanted both that escape and that fellowship again. So that's what led me to go after a new group. And the group that I found ended up being my best friends in the whole world, second only to my wife, really. Two of my group members from that, that gaming group were in my wedding. One of them was my best man. All of them were at the wedding. Leaving them was one of the hardest things that I've had to do in recent years, even though it meant, you know, going on a new adventure, starting my adult life in a new city, I had to leave my best friends, and that really hurt me. That's the kind of bond that D&D can form with people. D&D, if you let it, can be an intense bonding situation. Now, with that intensity comes some problems, but I'll get to those in the back half of this episode. You know, what makes that bonding so intense is just the inherent social nature of D&D. You have to talk to play D&D. Even if you're playing it over Discord or Roll20, you have to talk. Even if you're doing it in a, a chat client, you have to talk. You have to communicate with other people and 
you know, form a group unity to be able to accomplish really anything in D&D. That's part of why I, I value role-playing games so much. That's that's why I've decided to, to do this podcast, because I think that role-playing is so good for people. It's it's not just good for people like me who are, you know, social by nature and, and like, you know, having that community and, and doing social things. It's also good for people who don't have great social skills. It's a great way to develop social skills, and it's a great way to get over social anxiety. A good example of this, in my mind, is my friend Lucas, who ended up being the best man at my wedding. When Lucas and Austin first joined the D&D group, and you already heard Austin's story, Austin was himself. Austin has never been anything other than Austin. But Lucas was very, very quiet. Lucas only spoke a handful of times out of game. Uh, in game, he he wasn't much for role playing. Uh, he'd, he'd say a few things, pretty much the, the bare minimum to, to keep the game going. And he and Austin never stuck around to hang out afterwards. And Lucas wouldn't eat in front of us. We'd have food, would never partake, wouldn't eat anything, which we all found weird. We thought maybe Lucas uh, didn't eat a lot. As it turns out, that's kind of the opposite of the case, but Lucas was painfully shy, and, you know, he wasn't interacting with the group, but over time, we got to know Lucas. We, we, broke those boundaries down. We we saw him drunk on a handful of occasions that were hilarious. We'll talk about those when Lucas comes on the show. But we really got to know Lucas and we got to form an intimate bond with him. There were times where Lucas got on our nerves. We got on Lucas's nerves. But in the end, Lucas became one of my closest friends and he became a close friend of the whole group. And we all love him. We all love each other. And I honestly can't imagine what my life would have been like in those kind of three and a half, almost four years that, that we played together without Lucas in it. If, if Lucas had disappeared after two weeks or, or not come back between the end of Moe's campaign and the end of my campaign, I, I don't know what we would have done. I, I can't imagine what would have happened. And all of that happened because we were rolling dice and speaking in, in funny accents. Well, I was speaking in a funny accent. I'm the only one at that table who does crazy voices. Except David. David will break out a voice every now and then. But that's just an example of the the bond that D&D can, can form among party members. When we first started our D&D group, all we were doing was playing D&D. But then, you know, we'd bring food to D&D. Then we'd party outside of D&D together. We'd get together and go for sushi. Or, you know, we got together for my 21st birthday, my bachelor party. We would, like, go see movies. We'd play board games together. We went from being a role-playing group to a group of best friends. And again, all of that through rolling dice and speaking in funny voices and arguing about the rules. And that's that's kind of the the beauty of this game. Even if you have social anxiety. Now, I don't know if Lucas had legitimate social anxiety or if he just wasn't sure about us at first. But if you do have social anxiety, D&D can be a very healthy thing for you. It gives you the opportunity to interact with a small group of people and, you know, get to know them and and get to be cool. If you have any insecurities about yourself 
just as you are. In D&D, you, you can feel free to shed all of those insecurities and be your best self or be what you may think is a better version of yourself. You can become a mighty warrior or a, an intelligent wizard or just whatever whatever in your head you wish you could be. That's what you are at the D&D table. You become that. And in becoming that, you can build your confidence not just as that character but as yourself. You realize that all of these all of these cool things that you're coming up with in your head, they come from your head. They don't come from this other entity. That entity exists in as much as you exist. And so it, it helps you build that confidence. It certainly helped me build confidence. I mean, like I said, I, I am inherently social. That doesn't mean that I'm a confident individual. I have struggled with self-confidence my entire life. It took a lot of self-confidence to, to first you know, plug in this microphone and start doing a podcast the first time around. And now I'm going out on a limb and starting a completely different podcast with almost no overlap with my old audience. And that, that kind of moxie is not something that I would have possessed in a time past. I would have never been able to get up on stage and do open mic comedy because I'd be afraid of how you know people would look at me. And that's that's a confidence that D&D has given me. And it's the confidence to not only be confident with, with who I am, but confident that I can be better. Some of you may know this, some of you who know me, there was a time where I actually weighed 300 pounds. I was out of shape, I looked terrible, and I didn't know it at the time, but I felt terrible. And I had to be disciplined and, you know, increase my exercise, change the way I was eating, and just stick to that for, it's, it's been two years now. And a lot of that came from my desire to to be better, to be the best version of myself. And that, I have to give credit to D&D for that. There, there's a lot of this desire to improve myself, to, to min-max myself, as it were, that came from D&D. You know, I can be, I can be better. I can level up in real life, not just in the game. I can be... Cromwell. Because that's, at the end of the day, a lot of my characters are who I want to be. And I, I think my group is realizing this, but when, when I was playing Cromwell, Cromwell is the strong, silent type, but at the end of the day, he is someone that you can rely on, he's strong, he's determined, he's driven, and he's the kind of leader who leads by doing, not by giving inspiring speeches. And that's who I want to be. And I don't know if that's who I am, but that's who I've always wanted to be. I've always wanted to be kind of the the Wolverine type. I mean, every everyone wants to be a badass, and I, I definitely am guilty of wanting to be a badass, but to be the kind of person who just goes out and does something, and that in and of itself gets people to do that same thing. That's who I want to be. That's who I wanted Cromwell to be, and you know, that... It, it took embodying that that spirit, that character, to make me realize that maybe, just maybe, after all, I can be that guy. And if I'm completely talking out of my ass, I'm sure my friends will let me know. And uh, I'm sure you guys will let me know. But that's, that's just me speaking from the heart about why I played that particular character. And then uh, another character that I played that I haven't talked about much on the show, I only got to play him for a few months, but uh, Tiwin Valorum in Ashley's game. Tiwin, for those of you who weren't involved in the game, Tiwin is a high elf who was raised by the foremost 
elven smith family in the land. So his father was a great blacksmith. His grandfather was a great blacksmith. And uh, Tiwin is a great blacksmith. However, he is the younger son, and his brother is due to inherit the entire Valorum Empire, as it were. So Tiwin is immensely talented, but he's not the chosen one. And people routinely remind him that he is not the chosen one, and he's the black sheep of the family. So what Tiwin did was he left his home, and he went to become a journeyman. And in becoming a, a journeyman smith, he acquired martial skills, and skills with magic. And he became just basically a sword-wielding badass who can also make armor and weapons. And, you know, where that came from was, firstly, at 23 years old, when I, you know, made that character and, like I am now, I, I felt very directionless in my life. And I knew, you know, I had a certain set of skills, but I didn't know where to apply them or if I should apply them. And a lot of that went into Tiwin. It was also a desire to not play another grizzled badass character because my party was starting to make fun of me. But, you know, Tiwin was kind of this this lost artist character. And, I mean, he had martial skills because it's D&D, and you want to be able to kick ass. I don't view myself as a wandering warrior or anything like that. I do know a little bit of martial arts. I'd like to take more, but I'm not some kind of traveling badass or anything like that. I... I'm just someone who has a little bit of artistic skill. You know, I'm a writer. You guys have seen my, my miniature painting. I, I have some talent. I just don't know where to hone it, where to apply it. And that, you know, th that was my, my mode of expression of these feelings was Tiwin. And Tiwin was also kind of my expression of, again, my, my lack of confidence. Tiwin was not a very confident character. Despite his skill, despite his prowess, he could not talk to the woman that he loved, at least as far as he knew. There was a, a bit of a twist there, but we'll talk about that with Ashley. And so using Tiwin, I was able to kind of hash out some of the, the problems of confidence that I myself have had in the past. Even though it was a premature conclusion, I felt like Tiwin's arc came to a satisfying conclusion. It concluded because I was getting married, and, you know, honestly, I, I felt like playing that character was not only fun, but very therapeutic. And so that's, that's kind of why I think D&D is good for you. It's group therapy. You... You sit down with a group of people and you, know, you role play out the problems of your life essentially. It's like those those stupid uh, comedy movies where they'll be in a, uh, a counselor's office and he'll he or she'll have them kind of role play out their problems. You know, you see that in uh, that movie with Kevin Hart and The Rock where uh, The Rock's a CIA agent. I just forgot the name of it. It's hilarious, though. It, it's like that, that therapeutic role-playing thing, but instead of playing out your real life, you're playing out fighting dragons with a sword, which, in my mind, is infinitely cooler, and it kind of, you know, takes away those problems. And to have a supportive group of friends around you like that in, in which to role-play and express yourself and kind of play off of each other and, you know, you build on who you are as a person and improve it. That right there is the power of role-playing. That's the power of role-playing games. And that's, in my mind, the highest good that can come from role-playing. So now that I've rambled about the, the good parts 
of role-playing, unfortunately, we now have to talk about some of the bad parts of group dynamics. Like I said, group dynamics come with a good and a bad, inherently. And part of that bad is that there are certain personality types and play styles that will not mesh well. For example, if you've got someone who's really into role-playing, and you know, someone like me, who, who wants to embody their character and have conversations with people in the real world and, you know, kind of kind of be a different person for a while, that kind of person will greatly annoy the, the pejorative term for it is murder hobo, the ass kicker of the group, to use Matt Colville's term, the one who just wants to murder stuff. That guy. He just wants to he just wants to wreck face. He wants to beat the crap out of a dragon and get some sick loot. That guy's gonna be very annoyed by me speaking in my my British accent, trying to find out more about the the world that I'm embodying. Now I do like to break out the swords and and kick some ass myself, but I also like the role-playing aspect. And I understand if any of you have shared a table with me and you get really annoyed by my role-playing. I, I get it, and I'm sorry, but that's where I find my fun in the game. Now, I also find my fun in combat, and I know some of you find that, that fun in combat. Again, David, great guy. His role-playing style, or his playing style is very different from mine. David doesn't like role-playing every tiny little thing. And just for sake of clarity, this is David from my old D&D group. In my new D&D group, there's also a player named David, who is more of a role-player, ironically enough. But the old D&D David, David Holland, who I know is listening to this podcast, hey David, our role-play, our, our playing styles are very different. I like to role-play, he likes to kick ass. But we found a way to make it work, which again, that's that's the good parts of D&D. But again, those those differences of style can clash. We didn't really talk about it much, but initially my playstyle and Austin's playstyle actually clashed a bit because I mean, you guys have heard me talk about my characters. I like grim, brooding badasses. I, I'm a huge Batman fan. I'm looking right at a miniature bust of Batman on my desk right now. That's the that's the kind of character I like. And Austin is very much not that with his characters. So there would be times where he'd be, you know, having fun in a way that he liked it. And I'd just be like, what the hell are you doing? But, you know, he, he knows that. Like I said, I, I wear my emotions on my sleeve. And we... We work past that, and I came to appreciate Austin as a player. But those kind of conflicts sometimes don't get resolved. Sometimes you will have seemingly irreconcilable differences with another player on how to play. Especially if you are the kind of person who loves to optimize things, and you, you sense that a player is not playing their optimal way. Again, Matt Colville talks about this in, in one of his brilliant videos on the different types of players in D&D. There are people who not only want to optimize their character, but want to optimize everyone else's character. They want kind of the best best possible outcome for the group. And sometimes those people will rub you the wrong way, especially if you're like me or you're like Austin and you have a very, very good sense of what kind of character you want. And then someone else is coming in saying, no, 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 you're doing it wrong. That would piss me off. If someone told me that I was playing it wrong, I would get upset. And I've been guilty of telling, now this is more of a me as a DM problem, in a way telling people they're playing it wrong. And, you know, they get justifiably upset at me. And I, I try not to do it anymore because it's a shitty thing to do. But really what you have to do if you find yourself, if you find that your style of play is clashing with someone else's, you, you have to resolve it. You have have to talk to that person out of game and uh, see if you can come to an understanding. 
Um, sometimes you won't. And if it bothers you that much, then you might have to leave. But I'm not going to recommend you leaving a game just because someone's playstyle annoys you. We'll, we'll get to when you should or should not leave a game a little bit later. But for right now, if, if you are clashing styles with someone else at the table, you need to work that out. You need to resolve those issues and come to an understanding of this is the way they have fun. This is the way you have fun. Reconcile that sometimes you're not going to find something fun, but they will. And just let it be. Just take advantage of the, the times that you find fun. If you like combat, but you find yourself stacking dice while uh, role-playing situations are going on, I'd recommend that you pay attention to what's going on in the role-playing situations. Maybe write some stuff down. It'll be important later. But, you know, just, just let the role-players have their fun in those situations. And then when it comes time to break out the dice and smash up some orcs, then go to town and have a ball. So that's one kind of negative aspect of the group dynamic. Another one is problems amongst players aside, there's also problems between players and dungeon masters. And, you know, this is something that Austin and I talked about a little bit. It's something that I see all the time. Sometimes a, a dungeon... I'm actually experiencing this uh, in my campaign right now. A little bit of the uh, kind of a clash of what the DM expects versus what the players expect. A lot of times a DM will have an idea for a game and want that game to be a certain way. I'm extraordinarily guilty of this. As I've talked about, I like me some dark fantasy. I like dark everything. My favorite movie is Sin City. That should tell you pretty much everything you need to know about what kind of uh, entertainment I enjoy. I like dark and moody stuff. Sometimes you'll get a group of players who really want to embrace that. They want some, some dark, hard-boiled fantasy. Sometimes you'll get players like I have who want to goof around a little bit. And as a DM, it's, it's your job to make sure that the players are having fun. So if you really, really want that grim, dark game, but your players aren't having it, either talk to your players or adjust your style. If you just really can't let it go, you you need, need, absolutely need to have that super, super dark and gritty and gruesome game, you're probably going to need to find a new group or let someone else in the group DM. Now, with that said, my players who are listening, I don't have a problem with you guys. I'm trying to adjust my style to fit what you guys want. I would appreciate a little bit less time on uh, the naming of the wolves, but again, that's just, we'll get to that later, in a later episode. But DMs, again, will clash stylistically with players, and uh, honestly, the best advice I can give to a DM is you have to be able to roll with the punches. Sometimes you want things to happen a certain way, and the dice just don't work out for you, or the players have another idea. You already heard my, my story about Austin murking that lead assassin character that I had, just with his divine intervention, because that's that's the luck of the Austin, as it were. That is his move. But another story that I have is I was running what I thought was going to be just a cool murder mystery session. I had had this whole thing planned out. Uh, the party was in the back room of this tavern discussing strategy, and when they'd step out, they'd find a whole bunch of dead people in the tavern. The door to the tavern would slam shut. They'd have to figure it out. What happened was, I put in that detail of the door slam shut, and immediately the paladin goes, I'm going after him, because he's a paladin, and that's what paladins do. I'm going after that murdering scumbag. And so I'm like, oh, oh okay. And him and I think two other party members 
just leave. They leave the tavern. They leave the the murder and just go chase after this guy. I didn't plan for this. So what do I do? I've, I've got to make them lose him in the crowd. And so I had to role play out this guy getting away. And the, they kept, every time it seemed like he slipped away, they just like after him still. And so finally, I just had to make him straight up disappear. Just, he's gone. He's gone and you have no idea where he's going. And that's a really crappy thing for a DM to do. You can't just build a wall and say, no, can't go past this. That's not good DMing. Unless you absolutely have to do it, that is not good DMing. And in this situation, I was a bad DM. And to make matters worse, uh, not only did we have players running after something that I hadn't planned for, uh, one of my players was drunk in real life. Not in the game, in real life. One of my players was drunk. And so that made things very difficult. But again, I got frustrated. I shouldn't have gotten frustrated and I shouldn't have walled off that that pursuit. I should have, you know, done something more creative. Ultimately, I, I would have wanted them to go back to the tavern and they did, but I should have done something more creative than just saying, you lost him. Here's a brick wall. Can't go past it. And that's the moral of that story. That's that's what I have to say about that particular problem that comes up in games. DMs, you can't get frustrated when your players have something else in mind. You should always go in with a plan, but at the end of the day, no plan survives contact with the players. And you're going to have to learn to improvise. And you're going to have to learn not to show it in your face when you're improvising, when you're having to completely scrap what you planned and go for something totally different. And like I talked about with Austin, I'm a very emotional DM. If something doesn't go my way, it shows. And I wish it didn't. And I'm trying to get better about that. But you have to roll with the punches as a DM and not get frustrated when something happens that you didn't expect or that you didn't want to happen. Like Tim said on his episode, as a DM, your planning, your world is not sacrosanct. It is a sandbox for your players. And they have to be free to break stuff. And if they break stuff, you have to be able to roll with them breaking stuff. You can't just say, no, you can't do that. You have to be willing to bend and willing to let your players push the boundaries and have a response. And if they do something that's wrong or hurtful to characters in your world, it's okay to have consequences. If they're doing something that you don't like and it's disruptive or, you know, they're just the party's not, you know, they're not they're not being heroes, they're not being heroic, it's okay to punish them for it. But don't be don't be so iron-fisted in your DMing. Be able to roll with the punches and be willing to change things up, and that will eliminate that that kind of uh, trouble between DMs and players. Now, the other thing that will cause trouble between DMs and players is uh, DMs misbehaving. And this is not just, you know, being iron-fisted with your, your DMing. There are a ton, a ton of horror stories about DMs forcing players into situations they're not comfortable with. If you go on Reddit and you go on RPG horror stories, you go on that, that subreddit, you will find story after story of DMs sexually harassing their players or forcing them into gruesome torture scenes or, you know, mind controlling them without, you know, playing within the, the bounds of what the game has set up for mind control and making them do terrible things, forcing characters to act uh, out of character. Unfortunately, that kind of thing is very common. And again, DMs, I have to say, if that's the way you DM, this is the one time where I am fully comfortable saying you are playing it wrong. You're doing it wrong. You can't do that to your players. It's unfair. It's gross. And it's an abuse of this beautiful thing we have called role-playing. And if you find yourself in a situation where 
a DM or another player is legitimately misbehaving and leering at your character or doing stuff that makes you uncomfortable, firstly, you have to talk to them out of game. You should always try to talk it out first. We have this kind of uh, kind of slash and burn culture when it comes to uh, social interaction. It's very common these days for at the at the slightest offense for people to just say, all right, that's it. You're cut out of my life. I block you on social media. I'm leaving this D&D game. I'm not returning your calls or texts or anything. We're not going to talk this out. You're done. You're gone. You're canceled. And that is not healthy. In no way is that healthy for you to just immediately cut off anyone who slights you even just a little bit or anyone who you know you perceive as doing something awful for you to just cut it off without addressing that issue with them. Always try to talk it out because what you're doing in that situation is you're rage quitting life. You're you're rage quitting when things get hard. You're no better in that situation than the kid yanking the cartridge out of the N64 because he's losing at Mario Kart. All you're doing is making other people around you upset and you're not helping your personal growth. So always talk it out. Always go to the person, go to the DM who's doing something you don't like and saying, hey, I don't like what you're doing. I'd really appreciate it if you stop. I just need you to stop doing that. It's making me uncomfortable. And then if they don't stop, that's when you're free to leave. That's when you should leave. Only when an issue is persistent and you've talked it out with that person and they won't stop. That's when you leave. Not before then. And that's with conflicts with DMs and players. Now, at DMs, I like to think that the reason some of you guys are doing this is you just aren't aware that you're making people uncomfortable. I hope none of you are doing this intentionally. But if, if you are, then I never want to end up at one of your tables. If you are intentionally making your players uncomfortable or exploiting your players just to, to get your jollies, that is not what I come to the table for. And if I end up at one of your tables and you're gleefully taking advantage of one of the players, I will call you out on it. And if it persists, I will leave and I will come on this podcast and tell everyone that you're doing that. However, if this is coming from a place of ignorance and you just don't know that what you're doing is making your players uncomfortable, that's why you need to have a conversation before any game starts, before you start your campaign, you need a session zero where you explain to your players, this is what I'm going to do. This is what I'm comfortable doing. This is what I'm uncomfortable doing. What are your expectations? What are you not comfortable with? And if they say they don't, for example, want to role play out sexual encounters, then don't do it. That's something that can make people genuinely uncomfortable. Don't do it. If they don't want to roleplay intense torture, again, don't do it. Don't make them roll constant constitution saves while you describe how someone is flaying them with a cat of nine tails. Some people don't like that. A lot of people don't like that. If you want to do torture without doing that, just have them make uh, have them make constitution saving throws, have them make wisdom saving throws, or, or whatever it is. Don't describe it. Just say, okay, you're being tortured. Make me a constitution saving throw. Make me a wisdom saving throw whatever it is they need to make. Have them do that. If they pass, then they don't divulge any information. If they fail, then they do. That's all you need to do if you have players who aren't comfortable with you describing every little detail of the torture they're enduring. And, you know, if... If you're not comfortable role-playing sexual encounters, but you've got a player who's a bard and wants to hit on every single bar wench, just when they make their charisma check and, you know, they, they roll a natural 20 and get to add another 20 on top of it because they're bards, just say, all right, you succeed, fade to black. 
Next day. That's all you need to do. Okay, you get laid. Next day. That's all That's all there is to it. You don't have to go into graphic detail unless, as a group, you've explicitly said, this is an adult game and we are all on board with every little detail of torture or sexual encounters or whatever it is your sick minds come up with. If that's the type of game you're playing and all your players know it and they're all okay with it, cool. Go for it. But if they're not, don't go there. That's extremely uncomfortable territory, and I know for a fact I wouldn't be cool with that. Pretty much everyone I've played- actually, definitely everyone I've played with would not be cool with that kind of thing. So, you just have to make sure that your players know what they're in for and have agreed to it. And if they don't, then you're going to need to adjust your game. You're going to need to adjust what you want, and if you absolutely cannot handle adjusting in the slightest, you're gonna have to find a new group, but honestly, if you're that stuck in your ways, you probably shouldn't be DMing. And DMing isn't for everyone. Not every player is going to be a DM. It's a lot of responsibility, and sometimes it's straight up not fun. There are times where everything you've planned has gone wrong. The players are completely off track. They're, they're, they're joking about outside things. They're not focused on the game, and it feels like you want to pull your hair out. That's a reality of DMing. Unfortunately, that's that's the way it goes sometimes. And it's on you to keep your composure and, and roll with the punches and just continue being a DM and continue, you know, throw stuff at them that actually engages them. And look, I, I'm not speaking from on high here. I still struggle with this. I am terrible about this stuff. You can ask my players about how mad I get when they aren't paying attention. I, I wish I didn't, and I'm trying not to. Unfortunately, that's the reality that I have to face, that I, I get frustrated at stuff like that. And if you're DMing, those are realities that you'll have to face, and if you can't deal with that, then you can't DM. Full stop. If you can't deal with adversity, then you can't DM. So that covers kind of in-game conflicts between players and uh, DMs. Uh, the last thing I, I want to talk about with regards to the negative aspects of a social situation is uh, real-life problems. So this is going to have nothing to do with playstyle. It's going to have nothing to do with what kind of content you like in your game. This is about personalities and personal beliefs clashing at the table. So because of the social nature of D&D, you're going to encounter different types of personalities. Some people you'll get along with great. Like I said, I've got a whole group full of good friends that I have made playing D&D. But even amongst those friends, there are people who I clash with on certain things. A good example of this is politics. There are a few people in the group who have the polar opposite politics from me. We've argued about it. Fortunately, we've never argued about it in D&D, but that's a reality of existing in a social situation. Not everyone's going to agree with you on everything. And the best advice I can give is to leave that stuff outside of the table. Once you sit down with your dice and your character sheet and your pizza and your beer, do not talk about politics. Do not talk about real-world issues. The only politics and world issues you should be talking about are those in your game. Do not bring real life to the table once the DM sits down behind the screen and says, when we last left our heroes. From that point forward, real life is gone. You don't talk about that stuff anymore until the session's done. Because all it does is piss people off. All you're going to do is create conflict when you do stuff like that. And no one comes to D&D for real-world conflict. They come to D&D for conflict with the dice 
or conflict with the big bad evil guy. Conflict in the game, not conflict with each other at the table. Just because someone voted for Trump or someone else didn't vote for Trump or whatever whatever your issue, whatever the problem of, of the real world that you feel is so important, don't bring it to the table unless there's a big issue with the way someone is acting at the table. Then you can bring real life back in. And that leads into the next point. There are just certain personality types that you're not going to get along with. The extreme extrovert and the extreme introvert often don't get along. And you'll have that at a D&D table. You'll have personality types that you clash with. It's happened in my group. There have been clashes of personality. Again, like, there have been times where players have gotten super, super frustrated about how poorly they're rolling. And it's kind of upset the group a little bit. You... You can't let those real-world emotions affect the way you're playing. You can't let your personality type envelop the group. You have to restrain yourself a little bit in order to exist in a group environment. You have to be willing to compromise. And if you don't get along with someone outside of game, that's fine as long as you're able to coexist in-game. But I've seen a lot of people get upset at people outside of game and then take it out on them in-game. It happens all the time. Out-of-game conflicts become in-game conflicts, and sometimes in-game conflicts become out-of-game conflicts. That happens too. That happened in my group. I unfortunately instigated one of those, and uh, I'll, I'll talk about that a little bit when I have Ashley on the show. But that, that was one of my failings as a player, is I've instigated real-world conflicts over in-game stuff. And you can't let that stuff destroy your group. You can't let that be the thing that drives you apart. Just, this guy likes the Patriots, and I like the Giants. Or, this guy is a Republican, and I'm a Democrat. Or, this guy chews with his mouth open, and I find that abhorrent and evil, because some people are like that. You can't let that ruin your fun. And you can't let that ruin everyone else's fun, because when you bring those conflicts during the game, that's what you're doing. You're ruining people's fun. If it's a big problem, hash it out before or after the session. But don't bring it to the session. You have to leave real-world issues, real-world clashes of personality out of the game unless it's seriously affecting the way that you play. So, that was my first DM ranting. Um, I'm sure a lot of you guys have heard this before. It's a lot of very common advice, and I, you know, I took it from a lot of places. I took some of it from Matt Colville, took some of it from my personal experience, took some of it from Taking 20, just all these different places where I've heard about group dynamics and all these experiences where I, you know, have experienced problems in and out of game. That has informed this, this rant of mine, and it's something that I wanted to talk about because it's something that I have had to remind myself of in learning to play with a new group. And again, guys, in my new group, I love you guys. You guys are great friends. I'm married to one of you, and I love every single one of you. But there are growing pains when you have a new group. And in dealing with those growing pains and dealing with new players just now learning how to how to play D&D, I've had to revisit these things in my mind and not get frustrated and not let that frustration come into my game. And so that inspired this DM rants. And uh, I hope you guys enjoyed it. I, I hope you took something valuable from this episode, and if you're having conflicts like this in your group, I hope you take my advice and try to deal with it individually or as a group before you just hit the cancel button. D&D &D is a wonderful thing. It's a wonderful social experience. It's a great way to have therapy 
for what's going on in your life and to get out of your shell and you know be more social and do social things but it can also lead to a lot of interpersonal conflicts so you have to take the good with the bad you have to deal with the bad as it comes and you have to overcome it if you're going to have any fun in this hobby so that's that's this episode of of dm rants I hope you guys enjoyed it. Like I said, I hope you took something from it. We are coming up on, I, I think we're going to do another one of these either next week or the week after. I, I'm still getting one more guest committed to, to do an episode for uh, the last couple weeks of May. And then once we get into June, I've got back-to-back weeks where I'm interviewing guests. We might have to do maybe maybe one DM ranting in, in the month of June, but for the most part, it's going to be guests. And from here on, on, it's going to be a lot of guests and you'll get the show every week every week that i'm in town you will get a show by thunder come hell or high water i will get the show to you so i hope you guys enjoyed it uh like i said we'll be back next week you won't have to wait a month between uh getting your, your two episodes you, you'll get a full four maybe even five depending on the month so yeah that's that's gonna do it for this time uh as always you know where to find me on social media you'll hear that at the end so until Until next time, may all your rolls be critical hits. Thank you so much for listening to Rollin' Bones with Ryan Howard. If you like what you hear, you can subscribe to us on anchor.fm or wherever you get your podcasts. If you want to shout at me on social media, you can do so on Twitter and Instagram. On Twitter, I am at Howard underscore Ryan Gregg. And if you like miniatures and miniature painting, you can see all the work that I do on my Instagram, which is at Fenderboy771. Our theme song for Rollin' Bones with Ryan Howard is Rumblin' by Trey Van Zant, who you can find at youtube.com slash C slash Trey Van Zant, licensed under Creative Commons by Attribution 3.0 License. Thank you so very much, and have a great day.